1: Not only do you upgrade to FAIR, you're also joining a reliable network you can trust to have your back. No hidden requirements, no activation fees. Now that's FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com.
2: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who believes that every time a bell emoji is used, a hashtag angel gets its wings. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Rico Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Eric, that was a really good one. Anyway, today in the red chair is Jana Messerschmidt, a partner at the venture capital firm Lightspeed. She's also the co-founder of Hashtag Angels, a group of investors that came together in 2015 with the mission of getting more women on the cap tables of successful startups. Jana has also worked in business development at Netflix and Twitter, and I'm thrilled to have her here on Rico Decode. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk a lot about a lot of things because not that there's very few women venture capitalists because there's sort of more than before. Um, but I want to talk – I don't want to just focus on women things with you. I want to talk about also startups and how you think about investing and everything else. But let's get a little bit into your background because you've had a really interesting path to venture capital.
3: Yeah, definitely. As, as an
2: operator, really.
3: I often joke, I started off my career as an engineer and I recently found myself working in finance. Yeah, okay. How did so, that happen?
2: <laughs> so, talk about your background so people get a sense of so your career trajectory.
3: Yeah, so actually, I grew up in a small town called mm-hmm. Manitoba, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Population about 1,600 people All um,
2: right. in the central part of Illinois. Well, we'll try not to hold that against you, but go ahead. <laughs> Do you know where Peoria, Illinois is? Not really. Okay. I'm going to Indiana this weekend with Eric Anderson, who you know from Twitter. I do. I hear you guys are going to a popcorn thing. I'm just,
3: whatever. So what Eric, I do for my employees. Eric and I have bonded over this many times mm-hmm. because my hometown festival is also called the Popcorn Festival. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm glad that she's taking you there. Okay, good. You will most likely get fried Snicker bars and— I will
2: not be eating those, but move along, Jana. <laughs> All right, you're Midwestern. You come from the real Americans. I'm sorry, you're from real Americans. Yes. It's like as if people in California aren't real, but okay, go ahead. So, so I, you
3: come from there, from from that part of the I world. come from there. Mm-hmm. I always had an interest in technology. Um, mm-hmm. And I always, in particular, had an interest in gadgets. Mm-hmm. So, my dad and I, we used to go to, like, Circuit City when it existed and mm-hmm. Best Buy on the weekends. And we would play around with, like, any of the new hardware that came what, out. What got you interested in it? Just Was it just, an, just you I were I think it geek. was just a natural interest. And my dad, I would say, is could be described as a gadget guy. Mm-hmm. He was always into it. And so, basically, like, when I decided that I was going to go off to college, I was like, I want to know how computers work. Mm-hmm. I want to know how gadgets work. And
2: your dad encouraged it, which is critical. There's always anybody, any, especially women that have interests in technology, it's always a parent that really pushed them towards it, or at least encouraged it, that feeling, and yeah. not didn't discourage it. You know, I
3: always excelled at math and science, mm-hmm. and my mom was actually my preschool teacher. Mm-hmm. She had the one preschool in our small town, and they always noticed that I liked math and science. So they're like, you should explore this. Right. So, decided to go to University of Illinois, mm-hmm. major in computer engineering, which is focused on hardware, strictly to really serve, like, wanting to know how hardware and computers worked. Right. And I got there. I'll admit, I was a little bit blindsided. By, <laughs> by what? Um, you know, I think growing up in a small town, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of prep to kind of go off to university sure. or major in tough subjects. Mm-hmm. And when I started at university, pretty much everyone came in with all of these AP credits. They were coming in as sophomores or juniors. Mm-hmm. They'd already taken advanced calculus or mm-hmm. advanced like courses. Right. I didn't have any of that. Right. So I went from being you know the smartest kid in my class mm-hmm. to like, oh, shit, I've got a lot of catch-up to do. Right. So right. it was a little bit of a rude awakening, mm-hmm. but it was a phenomenal experience. University of Illinois So is a great hardware, college. why
2: hardware versus computer engineering?
3: Well, actually, um, computer engineering is more of a focus on hardware than software. Right. So CS is focused on software, computer right. engineering is hardware. Right, right, so and, why that? Um, I'd say two things. One, really wanting to understand at, like, the most basic component chip level, mm-hmm. how bits and bytes worked, and then number two is this computer engineering was supposedly harder than CS. Mm-hmm. And I always like to challenge them. <laughs> okay. And so what did you hope to do? What was your, you wanted to make what, gadgets or So this is whatever. the funny thing. Like, Cell I, phones? I really didn't have much of an idea of mm-hmm. like what that career path would look like. I knew that there were a handful of like prominent chip companies like Intel and Sun Microsystems and AMD at the time. And I kind of thought I'd go and work for one of those. Right. Making chips. Making chips. Designing chips. Yep. Designing chips. So, where did you go? So, interesting kind of like tangent is while I was in university, I had a few different job offers for a Mm -hmm. co-op. One was actually with Intel to go and design chips. Mm -hmm. And one was with a consulting company. Mm -hmm. And it was... To be on a variety of different projects, doing everything from coding to working on pursuit teams, which basically is like trying to win new business, mm-hmm. to working on developing um, strategies for startups. So I ended up actually selecting consulting because I wanted the variety
2: of right. experience. Right. And you ended up doing that. I ended up doing that. Yep. So that's so. It, but you didn't think you needed like a major tech job right away, just that you thought it was important to move around.
3: Yeah, I kind of wanted exposure to a lot of different things, and that actually opened up my eyes to, wow, like, you can do a lot with a technical background. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that you go and code day in and day out or design chips day in and day out. You can go into product management. You can go into marketing. You can go into sales. You can go into biz dev. And then that's kind of what started my trajectory into more of the business side of tech.
2: So, w- were you were you cognizant of the fact there weren't there m- many women in hardware or software design, really, that maybe you should move into that?
3: I don't think that I realized it until I got there. Mm-hmm. So, I want to say my major was maybe like 2 or 3% female mm-hmm. when I was there. Mm-hmm. So, I often was the only woman in the room. And I'll never forget, like, I showed up at this class. It was ECE 340, which was a class on designing solid-state electronic devices. Of course. I, I took that one myself. <laughs> <laughs> I walk in and the professor says, oh, um, you know, miss, I think you're in the wrong class. Mm-hmm. And I was like no, I think I'm in the right one. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, this is like an ECE class. I think you're done in liberal arts. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, actually, this is my class. (laughs) Right, right. So there definitely were a lot of moments like that where (laughs) feeling like you didn't quite belong.
2: So you did consulting for a while. How did you get to Netflix and Twitter?
3: Yeah, so before Netflix, I worked at a startup called DivX, Mm -hmm. which you may remember back in the day.
2: (laughs) They do. I'm totally blanking. So So bad ended. It was a bad ending, wasn't it? Uh, actually no. Okay, I don't remember. I can't that name just pops into my head. See, so, I've forgotten more than most people. So, know. Divix
3: was originally the failed circuit city kind of like erasing DVD format. Oh, yeah, that's right. That never took off. That's right. not the DivX I worked All right, for. okay, yeah. So there was a guy who was a hacker. His name was Jez Rota, mm-hmm. and he created a codec that mm-hmm. just was very popular in mm-hmm. the early days of the internet. Mm-hmm. Now, he called it DivX Winky Face, mm-hmm. which was basically like, a joke on the failed Circuit City format. Right, DivX was Circuit <laughs> City, that's right.
2: And so what did it do? What did it, it,
3: so it was a video codex that compressed video down. Yes, so I it, remember this. It yeah. made it easier to download files yeah. off the internet. Yeah,
2: it's the joke that Silicon Valley the show had that it was compressed video. Yes. It, all right, so I remember DivX, I used it.
3: So there was another guy who saw this codec Taking off, you know, kind of in the internet world. His name was um, Jordan Greenhall. He was the former CEO of Mm mp3.com. And he had seen what had happened with audio. He's like, the next wave is going to be video. Right. So he tracked Jez down, and he was um, based in a small town in France got him to come to San Diego and actually start this company, Divex. Right.
2: And so with, with, what people don't realize, it was really— compressing video and audio was really important because distribution was—the ability to access information was— broadband was not where it was today.
3: That's correct. So right. I remember in um, undergrad, I could not afford mm-hmm. uh, HBO, right? The $10 a month was way too much for my blood. Mm-hmm. And so I used to download Sopranos and Sex in the City— over a dial-up modem, mm-hmm. using the Defx code. right? Because it would compress it, and so it would be faster. it yes. would be essentially not
2: a lot faster, but faster. It would be faster. So you work for them. Why I were did. you attracted to them? So I love the kind product as a consumer.
3: Yeah, yeah, love the product as a consumer, and I was a big bol- believer in internet video is going to take off, mm-hmm. and this is kind of that first step, and eventually everyone will be consuming video content over right. the internet, Smart and move. you'll be, cons- you know, you'll be consuming it in real time, on demand, like, you won't have to wait for the windows that are kind of the traditional, you know, TV windows that you watch content. Sure. Okay, so you went from there. joined that company. The company actually IPO'd, Mm -hmm. like, which it IPO'd in 2006, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the dark days of tech with very few, you know, kind of tech IPOs. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we created a real business model out of it. And this kind of ties back into computer engineering. We were out working with chip companies, with hardware OEMs, with mobile phone providers mm-hmm. to license them the technology so that you could play content back on those different devices.
2: So you moved to San Diego to do this. Yes. Yeah. And where did where did you think it would go? What was your you know because this was a was a technology that's a transition. There's technologies that are transitions and then technologies that are here to stay. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yep. I remember thinking a lot of these things. There were a bunch of things like DivX that were it's on its way to something that everyone's just going to have.
3: Yeah. I think the long-term plan for the company mm-hmm. was that we wanted to connect the home, we wanted to connect the living room. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for a variety of reasons, and I think like the big one was timing, even though people were starting to download media off mm-hmm. the internet, it still was not in a place that it was really easy. No, but you were directionally correct. We were directionally correct. And that actually leads to Netflix. Mm-hmm. So Netflix started to get really serious about streaming
2: a few years after. He had been handing out um, CDs. That was his business initially. Um, I had actually Reed Hastings to a Sundance panel very early on in, in Netflix's Career And they, they thought of them as the CD company. And I, he and I kept saying, it's going to be something else. It's going to be streaming. And they couldn't, and it's going to be critically important. And they, he the crowd at Sundance, which was obviously the big film festival, could not understand what he was saying. I had him there, the head of Hulu, Jason Kylar, yep. and Chad Hurley, the head of YouTube. And we kept saying this to this group. And it was really interesting because directionally that was right where it was going. It was just the CDs were the bridge technology. Definitely. And, you know, I think
3: that Netflix did an amazing job of timing the market right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, enough people had broadband in homes. Enough people could afford devices that allowed you to stream this content. So, you right. probably remember the original Roku player. Yeah, of course. It came out. It was $99. About, <laughs> yep. And it allowed you just to stream Netflix content. Mm-hmm. Like, before that came out, any of the devices that were in the connected living room or connected TV space were like three or $400. Right. So, that's a big jump to get a consumer to spend that on a device and then not have great content yet. Right. There was no way to get the Netflix content. Exactly. And so, Netflix started small with their streaming library. But quickly was able to do a bunch of really interesting content deals, licensing third-party content. Yes, like HBO started exactly, mm-hmm. and of course that has morphed over time to Netflix now producing their own content, mm-hmm. um, which is you know kind of like I would say Netflix version three mm-hmm. um, in terms of the type of company that they've become. But back in those early days, like it was just a huge, huge win for consumers to be able to access great content cheaply. So why did you go there? How did you get there? Yeah, so they recruited a few of us out of DivX. Do you know um, Bill Holmes? No. So he's the chief business officer. He's still there. Mm -hmm. Um, He was another person who came out of DivX, And so there were probably five or six of us that ended up kind of being in that early team building out Netflix streaming.
2: Mm -hmm. And so what was your thinking at the time? Because this was, again, it was a big jump into the future and the people did not— at the time, people were worried about because they yeah. Reed had changed the pricing. There was controversy around that. He'd apologized for a number of different things. But streaming really was—he put all the eggs in the basket.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I give him huge credit. It's mm-hmm. like you potentially cannibalize your existing business you completely complete bet will. on the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he always saw that streaming was going to be the way forward. And one of the things that's so interesting is actually when he first launched streaming— you in, we included it at no additional cost right, to consumers mm-hmm. it was just still like 799 or
2: 899 whatever the price was and then so many videos i mean d- dvd's excuse me
3: yeah and i think like a lot of companies would have been like oh we have this new product like let's charge more for it But Reed's like this is the future of the business like mm-hmm. why would we add a hurdle to mm-hmm. people trying this out
2: and like seeing the value of streaming right so it was an incredible consumer value prop and and what were you attracted in the idea because it was it was early it was and i remember remember jeff um Bucus called it, like, Latvia or some. He compared it. He's not worried about the Latvian army or something, you know. And I remember saying, you're an idiot if you don't understand this is where it's going.
3: I don't know if you remember the first piece of content that you ever streamed. No, was, I don't. So, the first thing that I ever streamed was actually The Doors. Um oh. And it—or, sorry, not The Doors, um, the Talking Heads documentary. Oh, okay. And it had been in my Netflix queue. Mm-hmm. Remember when you used to have yeah, queues? Yeah, sure. And there would always be, like, content that would take— Five months to get because mm-hmm. they didn't have enough DVDs, and so right. it took a long time to get it. And it was one of those first pieces of content that was available on Netflix. Well, and
2: I, I go back a little further. Streaming, I remember Real Networks had started yes. doing streaming very early, and uh, I was just with someone talking about that recently. And uh, from Progressive Networks, who had been was called Progressive Networks, and they at the time when they did audio to start with, and then they yep. when they did video. Rob Glazier, who was the CEO and founder, had hired Jewel, uh, as I was noting, because she didn't move that much. And so one of the issues was jerkiness because of the slowness. And so Jewel just sat there and strummed her guitar, (laughs) which was didn't (laughs) jump around or whatever. Anyway, it was kind of it. That was the first thing I saw. And it was, was... even though it was jerky and slow, all those things that like you just were like, "Oh my God, what did I just do?" Yeah, content. I'm, I have become the broadcaster. Yeah,
3: content when I want it. Like yeah. it's a really incredible. It was experience. a
2: big deal. It was a big deal. The other thing. Used um, to it.
3: Yeah, the other thing that I did, kind of going back to uh, where I grew up um, in nearby Peoria, Illinois, is, is there's this saying, it's called, if it plays in Peoria. Oh, yeah. And you know, Peoria is like a test market of just mm-hmm. like, will things resonate broadly across mm-hmm. middle America? And so, my litmus test kind of on joining any consumer company has been talk to friends and family back home. Mm-hmm. So, I sent my dad a Roku player, mm-hmm. and I'm like, hey, like, check this out. Like, can you get this hooked up? And like, Get it all you activated. Said, do you like it? And he called me back like five minutes after I got the Roku. And he's like,
2: this is amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but your
3: dad's a geek. So.
2: <laughs> he is like, a little bit of a geek. <laughs> right. All right. We're here with Jana Messerschmidt. She's a partner at venture capital firm Lightspeed. We're going to take a quick break now, and we'll get back to her time at Twitter and how she became a venture capitalist. And also Hashtag Angels, which is a group of investors who came together in 2015 with a mission of getting more women on the cap tables of successful startups.
0: Searching for what to stream next? HBO Max is where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies, shows, and Max originals for everyone in the family. Discover something fresh to watch with new HBO series like Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams, or The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. You can also jump into a new Max original like Selena Gomez's new cooking show, Selena and Chef, or The Flight Attendant, a dark new comedic thriller starring Kaylee Cuoco. Ridley Scott's even producing a new series called Raised by Wolves. Whether you want to rewatch classic favorites or finally get into that show your friends have recommended a thousand times, HBO Max has something for everyone. Start streaming today and find your next favorite. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial.
1: If you're an early adopter, you get that your devices and your connections need to be fast and help make your life better. But you might be forgetting one thing. Tech should be fair, too. Fairness isn't a new idea, but it is to wireless. That's where U.S. Cellular comes in. At U.S. Cellular, people come first. And that means a fast, reliable connection with no hidden requirements and no activation fees. They'll even pay you back for unused data. When you upgrade to U.S. Cellular, you upgrade to FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com.
2: We're here with Jana Messerschmidt. She's a partner at venture capital firm Lightspace. She's done a number of other things. We were just talking about her time at Netflix, which is one of the key things of being a great venture capital, I think, is being an operator. And she's been she's worked at a number of companies. So you went from Netflix to Twitter. How did that happen? So you were at Netflix when they made the transition to streaming, which was the most important thing that they did, I think.
3: Yes, definitely. You know, I mean, I was not looking at leaving Netflix. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've read a bunch about the Netflix culture. Yes, the, um, the,
2: uh, I read. I was there when it was happening. And I've had Patty cord on. And-
3: yeah. I mean, Patty is incredible. Both she and Reed had worked together at Reed's prior company. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they were kind of like in their second um, company and really decided from the very early stages to put a lot of focus on culture. Mm-hmm. And that manifested in so many ways. Um, you know, I think first, like, there was such an attention to bringing in great talent, but also maintaining a really high talent bar. And then setting up an organization that didn't have a bunch of bureaucracy, it didn't have a bunch of, like,
0: Mm-hmm. Unnecessary
3: process, it's culty too. It's a little culty. You know, I loved it. Yeah. Um, you know, well, I who doesn't love a cult. <laughs> I personally found it to be one of. I mean, yeah, it was they're very probably. clear
2: about their culture. It was really important. The people that worked there understood the d- direction and vision of a company.
3: Yeah, and I think like real true empowerment. So, I've used this example before, but, um, you know, I had just joined the company. I'd only been there for a few months. I was working on this first deal. I was ready to get it signed, but I was not a C-level at the company. And so, I remember going to one of my colleagues and being like, who can sign this deal that I've just done? And he looked at me and he's like, well, you can, of course. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. He's like, do you stand by what's there? Do you stand Mm -hmm. by your work? What was the deal? It was a deal with a consumer electronics company to Mm -hmm. get streaming built into products. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I'm completely responsible. I'm completely Mm -hmm. autonomous. Like, there's no checks. Like, and it really encouraged people to do their best work. So, Netflix's whole philosophy is like, give people context. Mm -hmm. Give them, like, the broad goals of, like, what we're trying to accomplish, what metrics we need to hit. And and then— Get Let out of their way. Right. That's and right. that, like, really helps with retention of top talent, attracting top talent. Because at the end of the day, people just want to do their best work.
2: Sure. Most people. Not <laughs> everybody. So, you were doing this, but Twitter. This was 2010. So, um, I met Dick Costolo mm-hmm. at a conference. He had taken over
3: from Evan, who had taken over from Jack. So, actually, when I first met him, he was still the COO. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you've got to come in and talk to us. Like, you know, it would be great to get you on board. Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of hesitating because, like, I used the product a little bit, mm-hmm. but I didn't love the consumer product mm-hmm. yet. I mostly used it to check traffic right, okay. driving down to Los Gatos. <laughs> okay. All right.
2: That makes sense. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? And you would love Netflix.
3: I loved Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like, still, like, one of the most used apps on my phone. Um, and so anyway, so I was like, you know what? I'll go in. I'll meet the founders. I'll meet, you know, kind of some of the early team and just, like, try to understand, like, what could Twitter become and after those first few conversations, I was absolutely hooked on the broad vision, mm-hmm. which is like anybody in the world can have a voice and anybody in the world can communicate with each other in real time, in public. Like that is such a powerful idea and powerful concept. And so after a series of conversations and negotiations, I decided to join.
2: Right, and you did business development. I did business development.
3: Um, and what so. was the
2: goal then? Because things have changed rather dramatically mm-hmm. at Twitter. So that many times.
3: At that point, we were focused on just growth, growth, growth. Mm-hmm. So, we were doing lots of interesting deals with mobile companies around trying to get Twitter distributed broadly through carriers, through operating system partners, and through OEMs. So, one of the first deals that I worked on there was actually getting uh, Twitter integrated into the Apple iOS 5, mm-hmm. which this is, again, showing like how long I've been in the industry. But back then, like iOS was a completely closed operating system. Mm -hmm. And so you had to do kind of these like unique integrations with Apple to be able to do just basic things like tweeting and sharing from different apps across the phone. And so it was this huge kind of like monumental moment in Twitter's, um, you know, kind of putting us on the map. Apple actually did the partnership with Twitter before they did the one with Facebook. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like this huge, you know, I cementing remember. us as like a real social network or information so wh- network.
2: So, what were you th- when you were there? You were you were thinking of that this was going to be the biggest communications network of all time. The, the comparisons to Facebook didn't work out so well for for Twitter.
3: Yeah, I mean, they're really different products. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the value and the use that you get out of them. And I think that's probably one of the early mistakes was like, we did a lot of the same metrics as Facebook. Mm-hmm. So then we were always measured and compared against Facebook, even though the products and the value that it brought to consumers was really different. Mm-hmm.
2: So you spent a lot of time there during those years when there was heavy growth, a lot of heavy criticism too. Yes. the ups and downs of it. Did you think you wanted to be a venture capitalist, or did you think you were going to stay in an operating role at whatever company you were at?
3: I really thought that I would stay in operating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it was in 2015 mm-hmm. that a few of us over drinks, as these things often mm-hmm. happen, it was post-Twitter IPO. Um, we were starting to see just different folks from our network at Twitter uh, starting companies. Mm-hmm. And so, we were starting to get pings around, hey, like, do you want to angel invest? Right. And we were starting to make, like, a few small bets here and there. But we decided, like, if we banded together, and it ended up being six of us, we all worked at Twitter, we were all in different exec roles there, that we would 6X our deal flow. Mm -hmm. We would 6X discussion on deals. But most importantly, we'd 6X the value to our entrepreneurs that we were working with Mm -hmm. because we had such diverse backgrounds in terms of the types of things that we had helped grow, whether at Twitter or other companies. Mm -hmm. And so, in typical Silicon Valley fashion, we threw up a blog post. We mm-hmm. said we're open for business. Mm-hmm. We're hashtag angels. We're an angel investing collective, and we want to work with great entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And that's all you need to do in but Silicon Valley. It was all, it was different.
2: <laughs> well, it was different. You were all women, right? Correct. We are all women. So, what yes. was that a thought process that you wanted to invest in more women-focused companies, or because you know most? Men just invest wherever they feel like. It's often with other men.
3: Yeah. Course. It was kind of interesting. So a lot of folks in the media reached out. and They're like, oh, my gosh, like you're all women. Mm-hmm. Are you going to only invest
2: in women? Well, it's unusual. It's like seeing, oh, my God, it's a unicorn. Yes. <laughs> so we basically said, like,
3: we're going to be— the best investors possible, and we'll share you know any diversity statistics with you once we have those numbers. And so now I can say, almost five years later, we've invested in more than a hundred companies, and forty percent of our companies have a female founder or female
2: CEO. But was that the thinking? I mean, I know it's interesting because I think the, there is an extra burden on women executives to be women friendly. You know what I mean? Like, is it, it's you have to just. But when you were thinking of hashtag angels, were you conceiving it as a as a woman focused thing? I mean,
3: definitely, the six of us happen to be women, right? And we realized that not a lot of female founders were getting funding, mm-hmm. and so we definitely thought so as an opportunity. We saw it as an opportunity, and I will say, we see a lot of. Female founder deal flow Mm -hmm. because we all happen to be women and people have noticed that about the group, so I think that definitely helps in terms of like how many companies that we're able to back, um, because the
2: deal flow is we see a lot of female founder deals. Why don't they get as much funding? Why do these women founders not get as much funding or have more difficulty? Everyone tells the exact same story. Yeah, they can't (laughs) all suck. Like that's what I you know like they can't all be worse, quantumly worse than. The series of white guys that keep getting funded. So
3: here's one of the interesting things that I've realized since coming into venture is, I mean, it's so subjective, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you're doing, like, pre-seed, seed, series right. A, some series B. Like, there's just not much data to right. evaluate. No, they make things up. So you end up having to come to, like, personal conviction and personal excitement about companies. Mm-hmm. And so not to generalize, but, you know, is a man maybe going to be as excited about a company that a woman has started? Maybe it's a woman-specific product. You know, he just may not feel that same level of excitement or conviction. And there's um, more male venture capitalists. And, of course, historically, it's been, you know, almost all predominantly male. Mm-hmm. That's obviously starting to shift. And you're starting to see, you know, more female founders getting mm-hmm. funded. But it's more than
2: that. It can't be that they're stupid. I think that's the their stupid argument, right? <laughs> they just can't. They can't see it or— I mean, you should be able to understand people's lives yeah. no matter who you are. But talk a little bit about that, because th- that would think that you— I mean, I've talked to not just funding women, but like Steve Case and Mark Cuban about funding lots of different people in different parts of the country, yep. that, that people in other parts of the country don't get funded. People of color don't get funded. People from different backgrounds don't get funded. Like, it's, you know, certain category areas don't get funded. Ag tech, you know what I mean? That's yep. starting. When you look at that, how do you think about that? I want to get into your job at Lightspeed too. Like, what what's broken about venture capital? Is that that's what ha- is there just so much deal flow that it doesn't matter that they don't have to be interesting or or be interested? So,
3: I think one of the hardest things about investing, mm-hmm. um, and granted, I've been doing it for like five years, so mm-hmm. I'm still early in right. my investing
2: career. Sure, that's all right. You know, you're so nice to say that most men wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Not but,
3: to I mean, do it. It takes. 10 years mm-hmm. to really get feedback on, on what you've done. On what you've done. Right. And so in lieu of feedback, people look for other signals. And so whether it's pattern matching mm-hmm. of who's been successful before, okay, right. I'm gonna back this type of person to right. answer, you know, some of your earlier questions. Or sometimes, and I see this a lot in the industry, it's who else is looking at this deal? Who else is on the cap table? Right. Who else is investing? So, there's a lot of groupthink in the industry mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, if people hear that Lightspeed is looking at something, it's like, er, like everyone right. takes notice. Like, right. Like, well, we should go look at that right. too. Or yeah. if Sequoia is looking at something. Well, it's popularity. It's sure. sort of the popularity contest. Yeah. And so, you end up having just a disproportionate amount of attention kind of going to like a handful of companies. They're super competitive. You see crazy valuations that are happening um, in the industry because there is a lot of groupthink. Mm-hmm.
2: So, differentiate between what you were doing with Angels. So, you started to do investing while you were an executive, an operational executive.
3: Yep. Yeah. So, the way Hashtag Angels was set up was that it's a collective. So, we each got to write. early stage. Early stage. So, small
2: checks, like how much?
3: So on average, 25k right. per person into right. a deal. Sometimes we go larger. Sometimes we go smaller. Also depends on round dynamics of how much capital you can get into companies mm-hmm. because a lot of there's a lot of capital. I'm sure you've heard. Mm-hmm. So a lot of rounds get oversubscribed really quickly. But um, the way that we would typically work is, is one of us would hear about an opportunity. We would ask the founder, Hey. know, as you probably know, I'm part of Hashtag Angels. Do you mind if I share the Mm -hmm. deal flow with the other five women in the group? Like, 99% of the time, they're like, absolutely. Like, I want all of that operating experience. So, we'd bring it back to the group and say, hey, like, I'm going to invest. Like, here's why. And then some folks would say, like, yes, I want to invest. Some would say, no. Some would just be really busy because we're all operators. And then we would end up making investments. So, a little bit different than being part of a venture fund where you're mm-hmm. writing much larger checks, you're getting partnership consensus, you're taking board seats. It's just a very different type of investing.
2: All right. And so you were doing this and you would all have to agree on an on a no. No. Like each of us had our own check writing ability right, the angels, but th- that the deal flow would come together. Did you tend to invest together? So there are probably I'd have to look at the data, maybe like
3: eight companies where all six of us have invested out of that mm-hmm. hundred-ish that we've done. And then there's another tranche where maybe four or five of us have invested. And then there's so stuff like that. Why why be together at all?
2: I mean, what was what's the point of, of a group like this?
3: First and foremost, it really is about founders. So even if I've backed a company, so I'll give a good example. Mm-hmm. I backed a company called Cameo, mm-hmm. um, which is a really interesting platform. It's a marketplace that matches celebrities with people who want personalized video shoutouts from them right they're growing like crazy um, and so crazy it's, <laughs> it's super interesting it's the new digital selfie I know it's just I don't know has anybody sent you a cameo yet I hope not <laughs> okay we gotta remedy that
2: <laughs> actually you know what Sean Hayes is a friend of mine he's on Will and Grace and he did it by himself and I didn't pay a dime for it he had, <laughs> he had him say hello then the guy who plays Will said hello and then Deborah Messing was like who's Kara Swisher and that was my favorite thing <laughs> So that was my entire cameo that I got. Thank you, Sean Hayes, for that. I have to say. Um, Kathy Griffin sends me mean videos sometimes, but I just enjoy those. See, those you're so popular, you don't even need I to guess. pay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but really incredible platform. But they had an instance
3: where um, some right-wing kind of like Nazi trolls— hijacked Brett Favre Mm -hmm. and had him saying some really terrible kind of coded language in cameos, and then they were sharing them on Reddit and YouTube and things. And, you know, Brett Favre had no idea, and so— as soon as that happened, um, mm-hmm. I put the founder of Cameo in contact with Vijay Gade, who's right. the chief legal officer who runs, you know, policy. Who knows from
2: neo-Nazi trolls.
3: Yeah. Yes, from her, you know, nine years or whatever yeah. it's been at Twitter. And so, even though she hadn't personally invested in the company, she's like, let me jump on the phone with them. Let me share some best practices, like all these things, you know, yeah. kind of that we've learned along the way. So, that's the real value of the group mm-hmm. is you get to tap into all six of us. And we really do try to help out each other's portfolio companies, even mm-hmm. if not every Everyone is invested. Why not start a firm? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it might be something that we'll consider. Um, Right. You know, I think, like, angel investing is still really different Mm -hmm. than venture investing. You know, investing personal capital versus having accountability to LPs is, like, really different. Also, round dynamics are really different. So, getting, you know, maybe it's like a few hundred K from all of us into a round, that's, like, one thing going out leading or co-leading around, that's a different thing to get to ownership requirements to be able to return a fund.
2: All right. When we're talking here with Jana Messerschmidt, we're going to talk about her venture capital career and how she looks at it going forward when we get back.
1: Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are in your neighborhood, ready to help personalize your insurance. And you can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. Visit StateFarm.com today to get a great rate without sacrificing great service. That's StateFarm.com. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: We're here with Jana Messerschmidt. She is a partner at Lightspeed, uh, the Lightspeed Venture Capital Firm. She also does angel investing through Hashtag Angels, former executive at Netflix and Twitter. So, Jenny, so then you moved to Lightspeed. So you didn't form a venture capital firm, even an early stage one, Mm -hmm. from Hashtag Angels.
3: Yeah, you know, actually, one other thing that I just want to touch on with Hashtag Mm -hmm. Angels before we move off of it is, um, you know, you asked a little bit about You know, did we go into this kind of thinking about backing only women or female founders? Yeah. And one of the realizations that we had a few years into doing this when Mm -hmm. we had sat on enough cap tables was— we had seen the cap tables, and oftentimes we were the only women on them. Right. There were no other female angel investors unless there was a female founder. It was
2: just completely MIA from <laughs> any sort yeah. of diversity. And there was just that recent Twitter thing about someone at uh, WeWork who had been there early, not, on, not not on the cap table, but didn't have any stock.
3: Yes. And so we kind of, like, had this realization that, like, okay, it's great that tech has started to measure... Representation of women mm-hmm. and minorities in terms of like what does it make yeah. up in terms of your employee count? That's a great start, and mm-hmm. it's really important in terms of like how products and policies are
2: developed. Presumably, because it's always jack shit, jack shit, <laughs> jack shit every year. But go ahead, <laughs> sure. So that's presumably one. that's step one. Mm-hmm. But really, like
3: the biggest metric mm-hmm. that matters in the valley, money is money, mm-hmm. right? It's the power, it's the wealth, it's the you know yep. dynamics that are generated from this wealth that's created from successful companies. Mm -hmm. And so we are like, put out a call to action to the industry. We called it hashtag the gap table Mm -hmm. instead of the cap table. Got it.
2: (laughs) Clever, Jana.
3: And we basically said, you know, we think that even though women make up roughly a third of employees in tech now, we think that they hold far less equity. Oh, absolutely. And so we put out this blog post, call to action, start measuring this. And then Henry Ward, um, who's the CEO of Carta, he reached out to us immediately and he's like, I have your data. Mm -hmm. He's like, do you guys want to do a project together? Mm -hmm. And we're like, Absolutely. Right. So, we ended up working with his data science team. Explain what Carta does. Oh, so, uh, Carta is a software tool that allows companies to manage their equity digitally. Yes, so, before Carta… It's a really interesting like, company. If you I have some friends who work there. Yes. I'm um, also an investor both with mm-hmm. Hashtag Angels as well as uh, Lightspeed as an investor as well. But, you know, before Carta, you basically had paper stock certificates. I still mm-hmm. have some of these from, mm-hmm. like, my first, like, year or two of angel investing. And Carta has basically digitized all of that. a huge vision of how they're going to like completely disrupt Mm -hmm. private markets, which is super fascinating. So anyway, so Carta is sitting on this data. He had over 6,000 companies worth of data. And he's like- Who owns what? Of who owns what in the Valley. So we did this big project and the headline that comes from it is that even though women make up a third of employees, they hold just 9% of the equity What a
2: shock. What yep. a shock, <laughs> I would not be shocked.
3: I wouldn't think that was high. I mean, you could look at all of the S1s mm-hmm. from this year and, like, go through and look at, like, yep. who are the people yeah. who own significant chunks of the company, mm-hmm. and women are practically nowhere. Right. So— so that kind of turned into this broader rallying cry for us, which is even though with Hashtag Angels we want to continue to be great investors and continue to back great companies, our mission is how do we get more women on the cap so tables? How, did,
2: how do you get more women on the cap tables? That's a nice mission, but what, how do you do that? So
3: first step is, is you have to measure it. Mm-hmm. So Carta has some tools now that allow mm-hmm. their companies to measure who has ownership? Henry actually, after he went through this exercise, he measured his own gap table, and uh, um, basically allocated an additional eight million dollars of equity awards for women mm-hmm. to close that gap. He's also been very public around wanting to hire more female executives as
2: well so as more female board members because it's not enough board members, not enough executives. So, if you look at the cap table, it's primarily for the C-suite. groups right. that have.
3: The majority of equity. Right. It's founders, it's early employees, which those skew, engineers, mm-hmm. um, because those are the pe- first people building the company. It's executives, and then it's your investors. Right. Those are the people who take up the big chunks of the cap table. Mm-hmm. And behind investors, you know, there's obviously individual investors, and there's venture investors, and then behind right. the venture investors, there's LPs, right. which is like a whole other ball of wax to get into. But you have to start getting representation of more female founders, more early engineers and early employees, and then also more female executives. Like, that's how you start to close that gap. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to measure it. So Carta is one example of a company that's doing this. Mm-hmm. Another company that we backed at Hashtag Angels is a company called Compass, mm-hmm. Comp as a Service, right. not the real estate got it, play. Got it, got it, yeah. Um, it's actually these two female founders. One sold her last company to Facebook. Another sold her last company to StubHub. But they're creating compensation analytics and planning tools right. with diversity well, and inclusion built in. Well, people don't what
2: they don't. You, you intuitively know it, but you don't see it measured or, in, or in, uh, understand the impact of it. Exactly.
3: And I think when you look at the impact, like, when you look at all the downstream impacts of the wealth that's generated in the Valley, the people who are the billionaires or the hundreds of billionaires, they're the ones who are in the privileged position to go start the next venture funds. Right. They're the ones who are investing, yeah. To start their next companies, Mm -hmm. self-funded so that they own as much of it as possible. They're the ones who get to choose what philanthropic endeavors that they want to give to, what political campaigns they want to give to. And, like, women just don't have a seat at that table at all. So the policies, politics, philanthropies that are being shaped, like, women are just far underrepresented.
2: So measuring it is the first step. But How do you change that?
3: Measuring is the first step.
2: Also, I
3: think a big step is getting people to understand equity. If you've been around in the Valley for long enough, like, you start to understand, like, here's how you value the equity that you're given. Here's Mm -hmm. how you negotiate for it. And if you already have had liquidity or a successful exit, you can exercise options. And then you get preference on tax treatment and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times women just have not had access to that information in those networks. So one of the things when I first joined Lightspeed was we did a um, negotiation summit that Mm -hmm. was hashtag angels and Lightspeed. We invited about 100 women. They came. They heard from Henry Ward. They heard from Max Levchin. They heard from Jana Rich, um, mm-hmm. who's a person who has a talent management company. Mm-hmm. And then we also um, had Maggie Neal from Stanford GSB mm-hmm. talk about how you negotiate for yeah. equity. Yeah. So that's like a first step. Um, Absolutely. But we have to do more on an education basis.
2: You know, as an investor now that you're at Lightspeed, which are do which is a venture firm, um, yep. which had some issues around one of its partners. Yep. You know, the, what's his name? I can't remember his name. <laughs> You know um, his name.
3: What's his name? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that asshole. It was way before my time. <laughs> All right.
2: You, but they wanted to bring in a woman venture cat. They, they definitely were like, we aren't diverse enough. We aren't thinking about it. We have to actively promote it. And it wasn't just, let's hire a woman. It's that they understood they were at a loss in terms of, of what they were doing. It wasn't like, let's just add one woman or one person of color. It was more. We Absolutely.
3: Stopped. I mean, we have eight women mm-hmm. on the investing team now, right. which is incredible. I know. Like, I haven't felt so much diversity um, pretty much ever in my
2: career. No, no, no. That's <laughs> unusual. Hey, wow, Jeremy. Good Jeremy. Um, yeah. So uh, I remember he and I talked about it during that time. God, I can't remember that guy's name. Just let's call him that asshole. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's actually a hindrance rather than— you See, what's interesting is when you talk to managers, they're more like, oh, I got a one, you know, one type, this type, and that yep. kind of thing, versus that it's actually an asset. And getting people in those powerful positions to understand that it's an asset is much more difficult. Or getting the penny to drop that it actually helps dialogue, it helps ideas and things like that. And it just—it's—it's it's very nagging that it n- doesn't change. It doesn't happen to change unless you have enormous success at Lightspeed or Angel hashtag Angel or whatever. Yeah. I mean,
3: I think it's great because we're starting to see a lot more women come into investing roles. Mm. Um, And I'd say we're kind of stage one for a lot of these firms where it's like they've hired one woman. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't solve the problem. Like, (laughs) you got to continue to hire, and you've got to continue to diversify across Mm -hmm. the team. Um, So I've been really excited by how much attention Lightspeed's paid to it. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's starting to show in the numbers, too. Like, on the consumer side of investing, Mm -hmm. I think it's about a third of our companies over the last few years have a female founder, Mm -hmm. which is pretty um, incredible. Um, And it's not
2: just to, like— do that for to be good it's a really interesting because it's always painted by a lot of people oh we just want to do that to be good or and i'm like no because you have opportunities you're not seeing like that you know if you if you're just sitting here in Sand Hill road with the same old people you're gonna get the same old result and you may in fact be successful because there's plenty of rat holes to shove the money down but it, t- it still doesn't mean you're doing a very good job
3: i also think especially on the consumer side mm-hmm. um you know Technology has become democratized, whether it's through things like Shopify or Stripe or AWS, where you know, the next great consumer companies can come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't have to be out of the Bay Area. And you've already started to see this, right? Like there are huge pockets of success coming out of LA, out of New York. Um, You know, Cameo is based in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've seen some really interesting stuff in Atlanta and Austin. So, I think you're going to continue to see um, founders that, you know, don't come from the same places and don't maybe look exactly like but, you know, they looked like 10, 15 years ago.
2: Yeah, I'm always interested in the concept. I think Jean Case was talking about this, that there is, there isn't a lack of talent. There's a lack of opportunity Yes, um, in places. So do you do tend to think that's your advantage in being at Lightspeed or Hashtag Angels is that you have a different perspective?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, I've got some of the same Silicon Valley networks that yes. a lot of folks do. You do. But we also have tapped into some differentiated networks. And so, you know, especially with, like, Hashtag Angels, when founders are like, why should we work with you? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we've got all this operating experience. It's like 100 years or something between mm-hmm. all of us. And um, But we're also in different networks than you. So we've helped a lot of our companies find those first female engineers or mm-hmm. find those first, like, female exec hires because we're in networks that they may not May not be, may be
2: able to get into. Do you think that's a selling point? Do you think venture has really changed? I mean, how do you look at the landscape right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely an evolving industry, they Seem to be going sure. back to their same old practices some
2: days, you know what I mean?
3: I mean, I'm trying to be very optimistic, and maybe okay. that's just being at mm-hmm. light speed and seeing all the strides right. that we're taking on right. this front um, around hiring different types of folks. And by the way, like, I think we talk about diversity a lot, and we think about gender, mm-hmm. or maybe we think about race, or we think about sexuality, but I also think, like, you have to think about diversity in terms of, like, backgrounds. That's what I mean, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like— Like people from Iowa.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Illinois. Don't Illinois. get your flyover oh states confused.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm always doing that to Eric. I'm always like, I'm going to Indiana. Uh, Illinois, she's like, Indiana. I'm like, oh, we
3: Midwesterners I'm are proud.
2: I'm, like, I'm such a, a coastal elite. It's horrible.
3: I hope you guys are going to be live-tweeting this whole experience. Exactly.
2: Are you kidding? Oh, my God. It's, I'm like, it's so earnest. There's going to be so much earnestness. I don't know what I'm going to do. They're probably, you know.
3: So here's how you're going to earn your street. It'll
2: streak. be like summer. Suddenly I'll be dead. I'll be there. Popcorn sacrifice.
3: Here's how you earn your street cred oh, in the Midwest. what. Um, oh, no. You ask don't pe- say
2: be nice. It's not possible.
3: You ask people if they've ever detasseled corn.
2: It's I don't even know it is. the Midwestern side of passage. Dirty <laughs> detassel. I, I know what a corn tassel is, but
3: <laughs> so this was my job, and I think Erica did this job for a while too. Um, for six years, growing up as a kid, you'd go out into the cornfields and yeah. you would basically pull the tassels off the top of corn to create certain hybrids of corn. There's male corn and there's female corn, FYI. Yeah. <laughs> But it'll, it'll earn you some
2: bread. I absolutely no interest in detasseling corn ever in my life. Do I have you understand?
3: to say, when I've worked at different companies and people are complaining that, right. you know, the free snacks aren't quite as good. I'm like, you say, I detasseled corn. You need to go work in some cornfields. <laughs> really?
2: Do we? Yes. Do we? All right, Jenny. All right, so I want to finish up just very briefly talking about where you think venture capital is going, where you think the big trends are.
3: Yeah, Um. you know, some areas that I'm spending a lot of time focusing mm-hmm. on. And is it
2: different from angel versus... Um, I don't might think so.
3: I mean, the big difference between angel investing and venture investing in addition to check size is mm-hmm. as an angel investor, you know, I could write like 10 or 15 checks a year, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they're smaller checks. Sure. But with venture investing, you usually make a few bets a year. Right. Um, so, you really have to like kind of have a different filter. And you're also typically signing up to hopefully work with the company for like a decade, mm-hmm. taking a board seat. So, it's just, it's a different level of commitment. Um, But some of the areas that I've been really interested in, both as an angel but now also at Lightspeed, is I'm staying close to my operating roots because I definitely feel like I'll be able to really add a lot of value for the founders, Um, but digital and social media. Mm -hmm. So, my personal belief is, like, we're entering into Social 3.0. Okay. Um, There hasn't been a
2: lot of big investments in social. There hasn't been a new social network since Snapchat, really.
3: There hasn't. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you look at why and you talk to entrepreneurs as to why that is, is for a long time, your exit was either Facebook Fine. was going to buy you or Twitter or they were going to copy you. Right. <laughs> copy you. Yeah. yeah. That's what they still do. And so, you know, I think that you've seen a lot of the innovation happening in social uh, actually happening in places like China and India. Mm-hmm. And so, My take is, is that as NPS, so Net Promoter Score, basically satisfaction with Facebook continues to decline Mm -hmm. and, you know, in, developed markets, their growth has been stagnant or declining, mm-hmm. you're going to see more of an opportunity for um, entrepreneurs to come in and kind of create the next wave of social mm. because Facebook's not quite the dominant force that it once was. Oh, that's
2: a big call, Janet I know. Schmidt. All right, what else? <laughs> so that's I defi- like your guts there.
3: That's definitely one area okay. that I'm spending time in.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I've made a few investments at Lightspeed so far, mm-hmm. um, and two of the three I've made have been kind of in that space. Um, I also think that vertical social networks are going to continue to become popular, and you already see pieces of this, right? You've got Nextdoor for neighbors, you've got Discord for gamers, mm-hmm. but there are just natural communities that form mm-hmm. um, that aren't well served by the big platforms. yeah, Detest- <laughs> I'm definitely going to start the farmers <laughs> network. <laughs> you can be, you can be my first friend. No. <laughs> <I shall not. laughs> Um, so, vertical social, I think, is definitely a kind of something that I'm spending a lot of time mm-hmm. thinking about. Mm-hmm. I'm also spending a lot of time thinking about audio. So, as new hardware has emerged, things like AirPods, things like Alexa. So you're back to hardware. I am back to hardware. Oh, it's funny how things come many, full circle. <laughs> many
2: people have died on that hill, <laughs> on the hardware hill. I'm not necessarily saying that it's a
3: hardware bet, mm-hmm. but there will be a whole class of new applications, services, tools. That will serve kind of the audio use case. Mm-hmm. And as you move to a world where audio is potentially always on, I mm-hmm. mean, when I walked in today, like you had your AirPods yes. in, like you now have the ability to be in somebody's ear at any given moment. Right. Um, Absolutely. Which is a
2: pretty It's like cool, that movie Her. Do you remember that movie Her? Yes.
3: <laughs> it's a pretty cool, like, new opportunity. Yeah, it's true. You're case. right. I
2: could be, it could be, on, they could be on all the time and telling me different things. Now you have a meeting and I don't, I don't use them for their full potential. You're right. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, it's
3: also hard because we always end up losing. Them, but yes, well, I have
2: 16 <laughs> pairs. I almost left a pair in the Uber today. Speaking of which, anywhere else, anywhere else like transportation or, um, so I was an angel investor in Bird, mm-hmm. the scooter company. Ah, yes, you know, I just did the Lime president, Joe Um,
3: so my husband actually works at Lime.
2: Ah, interesting. <laughs> uh, your husband is from Uber too, he is also from Uber. Your husband um, was a character in that drama, uh, minor role, minor role, yeah, yeah. yeah, a- yeah. <laughs> he managed to escape unscathed, I don't know how, but there have.
3: Not read the super pumped book, yeah. I just
2: had Mike Isaac in earlier this morning to talk about it,
3: yes. Um, so my husband and I were talking about this last night. It might go the way of Hatching Twitter, right? It took me a few years post leaving Twitter to read Hatching
2: Twitter, right? This one's super pumped, might be the same, but this one's more in the you'll like, you should read it, yeah, yeah. (laughs) got to give myself so a So you're bit of in business. Bird and your husband works at Lime? I yes. love it. What a Silicon Valley story. <laughs> well, tell me about that space really quickly because you know I love it. I love the scooter business.
3: Yeah, I actually I listened to your Joe Krause interview. Um, I love the interview. scooter business. I'll I,
2: have Bird guy in.
3: Yeah, Travis is great. Um, yeah. You know, he's got a ton of I experience. have a problem with people named Travis for, for <laughs>
2: post-traumatic stress from Kalanick. But go ahead. TVZ versus TK.
3: Whatever. But, you know, when I first talked to Travis at Bird about investing, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's like, He basically, coming out of Uber and Lyft, had realized that for trips under three miles, like, it just wasn't well-served by Uber. It wasn't well-served by public transit. I'm
2: writing about it in the New York Times tomorrow.
3: Awesome. Um, So he basically was just like, you know what? I'm going to go to China, and I'm going to spend some time looking at different form factors and try to figure out what they had many. Yeah. And so he landed on electric scooters. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to him the first time, and he's like— this is either going to, like, be incredibly successful or it's going to completely flop. Like, I don't know if consumers are going to love it or hate it. Like, we'll see. And it's like when you have that first experience on a scooter, yeah. it's so freaking magical. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Agreed. You want to share it on social media. It's
2: fascinating. But, you know, there's a, It's you either love it, which most people who use it do or you hate it and then you're a reporter who wants to write about them lying all over the streets. Yes. But you can't combine the two. Like they're, if I'm sick of those stories, I'm like, you know what? They'll work it out. Like just like they did with Uber, just like they did with Lyft. Now whether it's a and to me it's a better business. Like it actually is a better business than it there's no driver, there's, there's no, no driver. complications. The big issues are safety, uh whether there's bike lanes in cities, which changes the equation, and whether you can get helmets on people. Like it, that's in the safety yep. bucket. And then figuring out sort of how to how to build a better piece of hardware to be able to withstand potholes and and things like that. But safety is the principal problem. And then there's a few others that are, you know, city, regulatory kind of stuff. But it seems inevitable that these last mile— In Los Angeles, I just saw those tiny little bikes, those motorized bikes. Wheels. (laughs) Wheels, which is really interesting. I'm not sure. I didn't get on one yet. I
3: have not gotten on one, but I've seen them when I'm in SoCal. Yeah, Yeah. but it's
2: interesting. It's an interesting thing. But I do think people immediately— go to the least common number of the complaints. And I'm like, you're not thinking this thing through. They actually really work and people really like them. Yeah. And have the question you, is, have what? you
3: been on a one wheel yet? What's a one wheel?
2: Oh, those things. now I'm not doing those. I'm too old.
3: <laughs> so my, uh, my husband got one about a year ago and um, he's obsessed with it. He yeah, takes I know. it every day to work. Yeah. And a lot of this is this
2: one wheel. Yes. It's
3: basically, it's like um kind of like a hoverboard, but yeah. it's like Kind of like snowboarding. Yeah, it's a little too much. Yeah, no, It's really fun. I
2: know. There's a lot of them. It's interesting. <laughs> I'm watching. I'm, I, I, I see them around, but mostly owned. They're mostly owned. They're have, I they haven't are. seen the rental solution Yes, yet. Scooter no. seems to be a perfect solution if you can get past the safety issues.
3: I think um, actually the one wheel would be tough as a oh. rental because they there is a learning curve. Yeah. Um, and you could die. Right. You could. <laughs> yeah. But they're really fun. So yeah.
2: Just something to add to your list yeah. of fun things to do. Uh, no, I'm not going <laughs> to do that, Jana. Jana Wear not- a helmet. I'm not going to do that. Are you That's like <laughs> it's like asking for it. It's scooters, I've gone far enough. I have my brother on my case all the time. He just uh, I I have to wear wrist guards now, apparently, which I'm going to. Hey, Why not? I like my wrists. They work well.
3: When we first started on the one wheel, we had like full-blown knee pads. So what do, you, like, what do you, wrist how, you, guards, how is it everything? like at home when
2: you you're at Bird and he's at Lime?
3: It's we kind of joke. We're like, well, no matter what happens in micro what? mobility between right. Uber, Bird <laughs> and Lime, like we're covered. All right. Last
2: question. You know, you've been at Netflix. You've been at Twitter. You're doing this Bird and Lime, things like that. What, if you had to, like, fix anything about one of those two companies that you worked at or venture capital, what would it be if you could wave your wand? Oh,
3: gosh. Um,
2: Netflix, what do you imagine is going to happen to them?
3: I think the space is Getting increasingly crowded. Yeah. Right? So, all of the early advantages that Netflix had from a tech perspective, being first mover into streaming, Mm -hmm. being the first company kind of embedded in all these devices, being the first to produce original content, like those windows are going away. Um, And so, it really is going to be a content game. And Mm -hmm. so, how are they going to actually acquire, produce the best content when you've got Disney, Apple, like pick your zillion different companies that are getting Mm -hmm. into this space? Um, So, that would probably be the thing that I would watch the most is, Mm -hmm. are they able to stay really competitive on the content front? Because now content truly will be king. And what about Twitter? Twitter, oh gosh. Um, You know, Twitter has so much potential. Like, it always
2: does. It always does, right? I mean but I It never reaches it. <laughs> Jenny, you gotta give up on that. I love Twitter, but it's never getting there. <sighs> Donald Trump is Twitter. And <laughs> that is where it's gonna end. Oh, that's a sad ending. Um
3: if that is the end. But you know, I think like Twitter had a bunch of technical debt, which really slowed down, like, execution and pace of, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. being able to launch new features and stay competitive with newer companies like Instagram and Snap that popped up. Um, I think a lot of that technical debt should hopefully be erased by now. But I just want to continue to see them, like, execute and really pick up that pace of execution. Because I think Twitter could be used by everyone in the world. Mm It just still is, like, kind of hard for people to understand how to get value
2: out of it. Yeah, it's been hijacked by... All the forces have been. And it's like, you know, I don't know if you, On all use, sides. Do you use TikTok. No, no. Okay, I'm obsessed with Are TikTok. You? Yeah. Like, it's
3: replaced, well my, done. it's replaced my Facebook and Instagram and Snap usage. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that TikTok does so great is, like, you open up the app. You don't have to build out a follow graph. You don't have to put effort into it to get immediate joy out yep. of it. Yep, And that's one I of the saw things. I saw the dog
2: eating the spaghetti. <laughs> I saw it. <laughs>
3: You have to follow um sad cat diaries. I don't
2: actually. Jam. Oh my god! All right, I it's will. so good.
3: Okay, all it's right. It's basically just videos of cats. I am like, nervous
2: about the Chinese <laughs> ownership. I have to say, I'm like. Uh. There is. Do I want that on my phone? Yeah, there, I, I definitely get the concerns.
3: Um, but, you know, they've really nailed that, like, yes, first you're right. experience so out has, of the box. So has, by the way,
2: a lot of the Chinese communications apps and everything else. Yeah. It's just the surveillance part that just makes me slight. And maybe yeah. not even true. I, I'm being surveilled by Facebook and Instagram, too. Yeah. But it's just to sell me toilet paper versus... Possible other things. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious being... what's
3: happening in your feed that you're getting toilet paper ads. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, they're up
2: to it. I don't use Facebook at all, so I use Twitter quite a bit. Anyway, and then, and then venture capital, what would you fix?
3: Venture capital. I want to see increased dollars going into female founders. Um, So, you know, that number of like women get two to three percent of venture funding has been pretty static. More companies are getting funded, but seeing female founders getting funded at every stage, and that just takes time, right? You've got a lot more women coming into like seed and A companies, but like seeing some huge successes by female founders.
2: Yep, that would be great. Anyway, Jenna, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. For, for having coming me on. on the show. And I'm not going to get on the one-wheeled bike thing. But <laughs> good luck, Dave. <laughs> good luck in Indiana. Yeah, thank you so. Don't even. Don't. You know it's going to be a disaster. Anyway, you can, it could be an international incident or a national incident. <laughs> anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer is Erica Anderson. Of Indiana, right? Is that right? She's from Indiana. That's right. right? Is Erica, Is it Erica America? My producer Eric Johnson. Is at Hey Hey E S J? Eric, where are you from?
1: Uh, Maryland.
2: Maryland. Oh, I like Maryland. I can I can deal with Maryland. Anyway, Jana, where can people find you online? I'm at Janimal. Janimal. What? Did you like get that being? Did you? Did you pick that? Oh, no, I got that
3: all the way back in like 07 or 08. Oh, but that was my uh, nickname as a high school basketball player.
2: Janimal I, the animal. I'm so sorry we didn't get to that story. <laughs> anyway, if you liked this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. How do people find angels? Hashtag angels. We're at
3: hashtag angels spelled okay. out.
2: Okay. All right. Because You can't
3: have a pound sign in the username.
2: Oh, so A-N-G, you have that hashtag. Wow, that's great. Hashtag or ad? Hashtag angels. Oh, great. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, people go look for it. It's a really great group of uh, investors, a great group of women executives. If you liked this episode, we'd appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. Just make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then.
1: HBO Max brings all of HBO to your fingertips, plus an epic list of new Max originals. Whether you're into animation, classic movies, or binge-worthy series, HBO Max's suggested collections are curated by real humans, not robots, so you find the right thing to watch every time. With thousands of options for you and the family to choose from, it's the streaming platform of your dreams. HBO Max, where HBO needs so much more. Start streaming now at hbomax.com.